What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? And we're back today with our uh, another one of our weekly recaps, talking about the quarterback performances of last last week. A three up, three down, kind of like we've been doing throughout this year with the series with three good performances and three bad. Uh, and then we'll get into some previews of the next week. But before that, just a real quick shout out to our Twitters. Uh, follow us at PD34 underscore and at Real Rahul Potty too. Uh, we'd appreciate that a lot. Also, if you like this episode, any of this series, go ahead, like, follow, subscribe. Do what you got to do on the platform you're listening on to support. We'd appreciate it. And with that being said, I think we could get right into our goods. PD, you want to get us started? Yeah, so let's get it started with what could be the game of the week? I'll talk about another candidate in my uh, next good. Um, but the first one, the obvious candidate, and that's CJ Stroud. 470 yards, five touchdowns, break the, breaks the rookie record for passing, um, close to breaking the rookie record for touchdown passes in a game. And obviously with a stat line like that, it's impossible to not have a great game in the game of the week pretty much. Um We'll get started by recapping the first quarter. Started off a little bit slow um, with a couple of short completions and a throwaway, but then he got going with a couple of inter- intermediate completions. Uh, perfectly thrown, twenty yards down the field, or twelve yards down the field, and thirteen yards down the field for twenty and fourteen yard gains, um, and then another five yard and then fifteen yard gain um, off a little bit of a shorter pass to to Nico Collins. Um, that one resulting in a touchdown, that fifteen yard gain. Um, in the second quarter, he continued to heat it up with a string of completions, um, the final of which goes for 13 yards to Tank Dell um, on a 14-yard pass on the second and seven. Um, and then a couple of passes later, he goes for a 12-yard and 14-yard completion to Dalton Schultz and John Mechie um, on a couple of intermediate and then short pass. Um, and then he has a nine-yard completion. And the first negative play of the day, he takes a 13-yard sack, kind of just trying to extend the play too much, turning a second one into a third and 14. Um, but... Luckily for him, uh, on a screen pass, which to his credit, he does throw perfectly, Nico Collins takes it for a 17-yard gain. Um, and then he has a great pass to uh, Tank Dell, 10 yards down the field. Tank Dell turns it into a 16-yard gain. Um, after another sack that I thought was on him um, and a, a loss on a screen pass to Devin Singletary, uh, on a third and 15, you're able to get an 11-yard completion um, to get to the 56-yard line. Um, in the third quarter, this is when things really start to heat up. So on his first pass, um, he throws a deep crossing route to Noah Brown, who breaks a billion tackles um, 20, from 23 yards down the field. He turns it into a 75-yard touchdown. Um, on the two-point conversion, Stroud does have a turnover-worthy play, quote-unquote, but because it is a two-point conversion attempt, um, the interception value is going to be downweighted for me. Um, because the value of that play is only two points as against uh, potential six points on um, a normal play. Um, uh, On his next pass, which is almost halfway through the third quarter, he has a 23-yard completion that is um, 23 yards down the field to Nico Collins. This one, um, incredible play design, gets a massive coverage bust from the Bucs. Stroud throws are pretty low, but decent pass nonetheless. Um, the next one, he has a drop by Tank Dell where he throws with beautiful timing and anticipation, 20 yards down the field. Um, doesn't get completed. But luckily for him, on the next play on a short pass to Dalton Schultz, he gets a 26-yard completion. That puts them into Bucks territory again. Um, and then he drops an absolute dime, throws it um, off um, a double move to Tank Dell. Um, pump fakes very nicely, resets his feet, throws it uh, about six yards into the end zone, um, just drops it in the bucket. Beautiful throw. 
Um, after miscommunication, he has a string of completions for 13, 6, uh, and 10 yards, all on short passes, uh, more of the receiver doing the work. Um, and then after an incompletion to start the fourth quarter, he has a beautiful touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz where he anticipates um, a deep out into the end zone very nicely on a fourth and nine uh, fourth and goal situation. So great play there. Um, he also had finished that off with a two-point conversion on a read option. Um, the next drive, he has completions of 28 and 31 yards um, on an intermediate pass and then a pretty deep pass to Noah Brown in a, in a tough window. Uh, Noah Brown makes a great catch there as well. Um, he has completion for negative two yards um, and then another uh, incompletion where he hits Schultz in a tight window perfectly, but um, the DB makes a last second play and it was a beautiful pass on a third and 12, but it forces them to settle for uh, a field goal or rather I should say um, the ground like kind of forces the incompletion. I didn't call this one a drop, but it, it was kind of a completion that could have been made. Um, the next play for Stroud is on a third and 18. This is uh, a critical play for narrative swinging, I think. Not really the, the worst thing in the world because he ends up making up for it, but he has a sack and sack fumble um, deep into his own territory at about his own six-yard line, um, and recovering that for the Bucks would have been pretty critical, but uh, this is a really rough play in terms of situation and value that um, wasn't really talked about. Um, on the next drive, which ends up being the game-winning drive, Stroud just catches fire. Um, there was a 14-yard completion and a six-yard completion on short passes, um, and then the good stuff starts happening. So he had he hits Noah Brown open 14 yards down the field and then finishes with two absolute dimes, um, a 26-yard hole shot on a corner route to take Dell, just lays it right on his hands um, against cover two uh, on that side. Just the corner doesn't get enough depth, and Stroud totally takes advantage and puts it on the money. Um, and then for his final pass of the game, um, he throws a beautiful pass where he manipulates um, the safety by looking left and then fires it um, to the post to tank Dell. Um, Well-placed ball for the touchdown. So incredible final drive, incredible game from Stroud, just attacking the Bucks defense relentlessly, taking advantage of any coverage busts and wins from his receivers. Um, this was a beautiful game to watch, both from a scheme standpoint, from Slowick. Once he started to open it up, Bobby Slowick, that is, um, and push the ball down the field when they got into a hole. Um, that just turned Stroud into having one of the best days I've seen from a rookie quarterback ever. Um, and yeah, we've seen this consistently now with with uh, the Texans. When Stroud is kind of um, allowed to push the ball down the field um, and has first and second down to work with, that, that's when he looks at his most comfortable. It totally makes sense um, when we remember what he was at Ohio State, a passer who work down the field with his touch and accuracy. And that type of uh, play is really, really high uh, impact in a, a good situation. And I would describe the way that Slowick is calling plays when um, they start dialing up passing concepts as a good situation. And um, we could see everyone on display in this game, whether it be Noah Brown, whether it be Dalton Schultz, especially Tank Dell, um, a fantastic game from the Texans offense and Stroud was at the forefront of it. Yeah, honestly, fantastic recap right there. That was a, a very, very amazing performance from Stroud. And you kind of brought it all together pretty well. Uh, not to really recap on a lot of what you said, but a couple of things I wanted to point out with Stroud that we're a little bit worried about coming into the year and early on in this in his career. And 
primarily in this game, he has silenced a lot of the doubts a lot of people had uh, on him early in his career. For example, one of the things we were most worried about is how he was going to deal with pressure. And I feel like in a game like this, where obviously his offensive line has dealt with a lot of injuries throughout the year, in this one, I felt like the Bucks particularly attacked him. And that's kind of what left him so uh, defenseless down the field so many times in this one. And I think Stroud was just able to pick it apart, really didn't allow the pressure to affect him and cause his accuracy, which is normally elite, to kind of get thrown off, so to speak. And th- that was really impressive for me. And another thing was I was confused if his accuracy downfield and ability to make such big plays was going to translate with not having the best talent around him. And granted, Guys like Tang Dell, Nico Collins, Dalton Schultz have played a lot better than what we would have anticipated coming into the year. But still, he's made it work so well. The talent all around in that offense is just working beautifully together, and it's making for a very, very high-powered offense. So very great to see out of Stroud. But looking at the performance of the quarterback on the other side of him, Baker Mayfield, who, in my opinion, I wanted to talk about him because I feel like his performance got overshadowed with how, I mean, dominant Stroud was for obvious reasons. But still a very, very a good game from Baker Mayfield. You could see it with the stats. 21 for 30 uh, completions, uh, 265 yards, two touchdowns, took two sacks, which I felt like, both were more of just broken uh, blocks from his offensive line. And just overall, really, really accurate day from Baker Mayfield. I feel like the Texans really came forward and challenged the tech, uh, Tampa to throw because they really shut down the run in this one. Didn't really let Rashad White or Keyshawn Vaughn get uh, uh, much going. And Baker Mayfield was just able to play his game. He was in the pocket. Uh, hitting guys underneath consistently. His, his connection with Mike Evans and Kate Otten was really good in this one. And when he needed to, he was very aggressive, especially in that second half uh, when they were kind of going back and forth with this uh, CJ Stradlett Texans offense, which was so good. Uh, one play in particular that really showed that was the that 54-yard or nearly 54-yard touchdown pass to Mike Evans. who got ruled down at the one. Just a crazy ball placement there downfield uh, in a decent coverage from the DB on Mike Evans, but he was still able to come down with it as well as multiple drives throughout this game, especially towards the end where he marched downfield was consistently getting the balls uh, in open space to his receivers. He broke down the zone of the Texans defense that they were running very consistently and was able to kind of move the ball at will. And if if it wasn't for Stroud having such a dominant performance on the other side, coming down, scoring every time, uh, honestly, Baker probably should have won this game. His defense did let him down. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with um, his performance getting lost in the shuffle. Um, another performance in um, category of good for Baker, he's just been playing a lot better than he did last year and the year before that as well. Um, his best season since 2020. It's good to see for him, um, especially as a person, as as what he's gone through with, um, I don't want to get into the Browns organization stuff, but we all know what's going on there. It's it's, it's a little bit of a mess, personally. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one, which I said was also a candidate for the game of the week and um, a two-time candidate for the game of the week in back-to-back weeks, and that is Mr. Joe Burrow. And Burrow was incredible in this game. He 
essentially didn't have a bad play. He only had a couple of bad plays the entire day for me in terms of my charting. Um, on, on one of the sacks um, and one incompletion where I thought he kind of skipped it in for a screen pass. Um, in the first quarter, it started off a little bit slow with short completions in terms of his impact. Um, but the yards after catch were coming. Um, and then on uh, a couple passes later, um, he had an 18-yard completion, well-thrown pass to T. Higgins on the run, um, breaks out of the pocket, throws it on the money to T. Higgins on the run for an 18-yard completion, um, and then has a string of completions for 11, 7, and 9 yards. With, and then uh, after a throwaway, he throws a 15-yard pass um, on the next drive on the third and 10 to pick up the first down, um, a 13-yard completion on a short pass, um, and then after a miscommunication, has a 12-yard completion on another short pass. So kind of dinking and dunking his way down the field outside of the touchdown pass that he threw to Irv Smith, which was a pretty throw. Uh, in the second quarter, more of the same, a number of short completions, um, nothing too explosive until the end of the quarter where he has a 22-yard completion to to sample uh, on a total coverage bust that results in a touchdown. Um, in the third quarter, a little bit more of the same, but we're starting to see the defense kind of open up, and then you brace yourself for that third, uh, f- fourth quarter where Burrow starts chucking it downfield. Um, so in that fourth quarter, he has an incompletion on a drop um, and then throws a pretty pass to T. Higgins in a tight window um, along the sideline. T. Higgins makes a great catch, uh, holding it away from the defender. He then has a 17-yard completion in a tight window uh, to his tight end, Tanner Hudson, uh, puts it over one defender underneath and then in front of uh, the safety over the top. Well-thrown pass there. Um, and then he has the the screen pass that I told you he skipped in. Um, just a bad throw there. And then a beautiful 32-yard completion. Um, it's a great throw. Um, this was a little bit behind Jamar Chase, like one step behind, but um, Chase is able to catch it and um, big play there. Um, and then after a throwaway, um, his next pass is a 17-yard completion on an intermediate pass to Higgins. Um, that was a good pass. Higgins broke a tackle, spun off, and created some more after the catch. Um, and he has a short pass for uh, eight yards um, and then a batted pass. And then his best pass of the day, which was his last pass, um, the first play on the final drive to kind of clinch the game. Um, the Bills are down a score. The Bengals don't care that it's just a one-score game. They come out aggressive throwing the ball, and Burrow throws an absolute dot uh, to Tyler Boyd, throws with significant anticipation um, on an outbreaking route 20-plus yards down the field, um, allows Tyler Boyd to catch it, um, stay in bounds, and he turns up field for a 32-yard gain. Um, so Burrow, I mentioned a very clean game, no turnover-worthy plays in that one, only two plays that I thought were negatives. Um just an incredible game again um, in back-to-back weeks he's had incredible games um, last week against the Niners um, maybe more impressive because it was um, a higher level team in my opinion but um, this Bill's performance was exceptionally clean and um, it could have been a lot more in terms of the scoreboard because that last drive they could have scored but like um, the game was pretty much over at that point um, and then a couple of field goal drives they could have kind of gone for it or, or managed better with the holdings and stuff like that but yeah very complete performance from burrow um and he looks back to full health and we talked about during his recap episode for 2022 like last year he down the stretch he played like at a level that could have won him the mvp if he played like that the whole year and it's looking like he's kind of returning to that form um over the past couple of weeks 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think this kind of the final scoreboard doesn't necessarily reflect in this game how dominant of a win it was for the Bengals, how dominant of an offensive performance it was for Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow was lights out. And obviously you went over all that. But for me, the most important thing with this Burrow performance was how healthy he finally looked. You finally saw him take tuck in run a couple of times and he was looking like he could run at full strength the way he was able to push the ball downfield with force and pinpoint accuracy was kind of the same way we've seen and what we're used to with Joe Burrow and earlier in the season when he really wasn't able to drive off that back leg you kind of saw those deep balls sputter there were a lot more uh, weak passes in the air the, the caused a couple of the picks that we've seen out of him. His playmaking ability wasn't all there because of him kind of being immobile. And we're finally seeing all that come together. And I really like that Tyler Boyd pay, play at the end of the game because it's kind of showed me that the Bengals still do have full confidence in him after a little bit of a shaky start where they did kind of go away from him in some moments here and there but that one was pretty ballsy with it only being one possession but they knew that they could go with their guy burrow there and get that big completion to essentially ice it because at that point uh it was difficult for the bills so a great game from burrow and looking at another quarterback who kind of has had an up and down season with another big performance here and that's sam howell with the commanders and just reading off his stats here 29 for 45 uh 325 yards which is a lot for a guy like howell one touchdown one pick which i'll get into a second uh three sacks which i'll also get into in a second but Overall, Sam Howell is looking a lot better than from what we expected towards the start of the year, where we were pretty much putting him on the chopping block for guys we weren't going to watch anymore. And he's kind of built himself back to being a kind of lower end starting level quarterback. And it's kind of his wild card ability that you don't see in a lot of quarterbacks. He plays fearlessly as a playmaker. He's constantly out of the pocket. And in recent weeks, he seemed to kind of tone it down to where he's not doing too much, causing as many unnecessary sacks as PD likes to mention with Howell. He was at a historic level uh, sack rate earlier on in the season. And right now it's still not good. Those three sacks that uh, he had this game, I would say were mostly his fault. It's still him trying to do too much, getting out of his pocket. And uh, that interception I also felt like was very unnecessary. It was at the end of the half and he was trying to make things happen, uh, make something happen, just rolling right and get the ball into the end zone. Uh, but it really didn't need to be put in harm's way there. Other than those mistakes, though, he had a pretty great performance. Uh, there was a 33-yard touchdown pass to Jahan Dotson that was right on the money, put it right there and where uh, in a spot where Dots, only Dotson could really get it, and Dotson really didn't even have that much separation there. Uh, another kind of qualm I have with him in this game is kind of in the second half where his uh, offense stagnated. I feel like he did put together decent uh, drives, but he – down the field he had a couple of incon uh, completions in multiple drives back to back to back where it kind of killed them and they weren't really able to score all of that second half so after a big first half which a with a lot of big plays he kind of slowed down overall still becomes a good performance because of all the explosives he has in this one but uh, very up and down and kind of resembling of how his season has gone as well yeah, he's an incredible player in terms of generating positive plays. It's just those negative plays, turnover-worthy plays seem to be really ugly when they happen. Like 
the interception that he threw, one of the worst of the year in terms of decision-making. Like, there's two defenders there, and one more defender could kind of make a play on the ball. Just an ugly pick. Um, the three sacks, like, a lot of that is due to him trying to run out of the pocket and make a play. Runs right into an offensive or defensive lineman. Um, but he has an incredible arm and, a, and an incredible sense of aggression. And that lends him to making some of the damnedest throws you'll see in, in a given week. So um, very, very intriguing player. Um, he's on like the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of generating positive plays and um, avoiding negative plays. Like he's like, I think he's top three in passing yards, something like that. And he has something like the worst sack rate in the league. So you can see like the, the disparity there in terms of those two elements of his game. But yeah, very intriguing player, and he's he's definitely worth a watch in terms of entertainment, that's for sure. All right, moving on to the next one, final quarterback for me in terms of good games this week, and that will be Jalen Hurts. Um, big win for the Eagles over the Cowboys, and Hurts was definitely a big part of that. So the first quarter started off a little bit slow. Um, a short pass and a couple of runs totaling for 11 yards, and then an incompletion that I thought was his fault. Through an uncatchable pass to Dallas Goddard. Definitely could have thrown a better ball. Uh, has a short completion that goes for eight yards and then a nice intermediate pass to A.J. Brown that goes for 15. Um, he has a sack fumble where I didn't think it was his fault. It kind of got hit while throwing in. Um, wasn't really him holding the ball to end up doing that. Um, has a couple of short passes that end up going for eight and 12-yard gains and then throws a beautiful pass in a tight window. On a fourth and three, pushes it deep down the field um, with some okay-ish anticipation, pretty pretty decent anticipation, I would say. Um for a 15-yard gain to Dallas Goddard, great pass there. He then takes a tack, sack that was on him, in my opinion, um, and has an incompletion. Um, to start the second quarter, um, the first drive, he has a throwaway and then a beautiful 19-yard completion um, to Devontae Smith in a tight window. There's a defender underneath and over the top. He has to fit it in between them, and uh, Smith takes it for a 19-yard gain. Um, he then has a 20-yard completion to DeAndre Swift. Really nothing he did there. Um, just a shovel pass. Um, then has uh, the one-year touchdown on a tush push. Um, and then the next drive starts off with um, a nice seven-yard scramble. Um, he then has a completion for no gain. And then um, an 11-yard pass to A.J. Brown, where, which he threw on the money. Um, after a six-yard scramble, he then takes a 10-yard sack. And then on this 10-yard sack, which I didn't think was on him, um, he does seem to come up hobbling, gets hit in the knee that's been bothering him this year. Um, and it kind of plays the second half with that injury. And it's a testament to his toughness and his character that he continues to work through that. And um, probably a testament to his level of play that he uh, puts up a good performance despite that um, in the second half. And let's get into that second half. So starts off with um, a three-yard scramble on a third down, third and two. Picks up three yards to get the first down. He then has an 11-yard completion to DeAndre Swift, kind of wide open, nothing much to say there. Um, and then throws a beautiful pass to Devontae Smith for a 29-yard touchdown. Drops it in the bucket on a goal ball. Just a typical Jalen Hurts big play. Um, then starts off the, the next drive with uh, a 7-yard completion on a short pass and then a 3-yard run. Um, and then another short completion for 5 yards. Um, after an incompletion, he has a 28-yard completion on a simple pass to Dallas Goddard. Um, they get an RPO, a roll Jalen Hurts to the left and throw uh, to Dallas Goddard on a flat route, and he takes it for a 28-yard gain. Um, and they run a similar play to A.J. Brown to get the touchdown. Um, fourth quarter, nothing really happens. The Cowboys have the ball for most of the most of the time. Um, just a couple of short completions 
um, a miscommunication on a double slant, which leads to uh, an incompletion there. Um, and his final pass of the game, he does miss in a tight window to A.J. Brown, just kind of totally overthrows him. Um, tough pass there. Um, yeah, I thought Hertz played fantastic in this one. Um, no turnover-worthy plays to me. One was fringe turnover-worthy, but um, there was kind of some design issues on that play, and um, I thought it was kind of more of a uh, slightly poorly thrown jump ball. And um, there was a couple of players who could have gotten that, but um, I just ended up trying that as a zero. So a great game from Jalen Hurts here, a ton of explosive plays, a number of intermediate passes that were good too. Um, yeah, he just continues to stack these good games on top of each other. And um, after what was kind of a slow start to the year, especially in terms of putting the ball in harm's way, he doesn't seem to be doing that as consistently in the, re- the previous weeks. Um, and the explosive play element seems to have returned for the Philadelphia offense in the recent weeks as well. So all good all good stuff to see. Um, and Hertz is pushing himself towards um, the level that we saw from him last year again. Yeah, it's great to see Hertz kind of re- return to the level we got so used to seeing him last season after, like you mentioned, uh admittedly rough start from him. Uh, but yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said here. Hertz had an amazing performance. I love this synergy with all of his receivers here. Obviously, AJ Brown's been getting a lot of love these last couple of weeks and putting up great games. But I think with Hertz, there's going to be some games where he's going to need to spread the ball out because obviously AJ Brown's an amazing player, seems to always be open. But this was one of those games where he wasn't getting open at an alarming rate and Hertz was kind of able to adjust uh, delivered great passes to guys like Devonta Smith. That touchdown pass he threw in the back of the end zone was incredible and perfectly placed. Uh, also, as always, great in the rushing game. Like PD mentioned, another tush-push touchdown. And as always, that's looking like the most unstoppable play in football. Uh, just stacking not only great games but wins, and that's really putting him forward in that MVP conversation in a year that – like we've said a couple of times now, there hasn't been one person kind of taking their stride. And the only person maybe hurts here having a good team, which is huge in MVP voting, as well as the amount of performances he's str- strung together. Uh, definitely looking like a good season for him. Uh, but moving on from someone who's had a good season to someone who's had a season more on the rougher side. And we're seeing a better patch from him here. And that's Jordan Love, who had a very uncharacteristically good game, to be quite honest. And I think the reason that he's kind of been improving here is the Packers have changed the way they're using him and kind of fit the system to fit. Jordan loves play style more. I think with him being a project kind of quarterback who sat for years and had obviously a lot of arm talent, very big guy. They kind of wanted to use him as someone who's throwing the ball deep consistently, someone who's maybe even uh, running the ball here and there. And he's seems to be more of a pocket quarterback and more of a game manager type of role. And that's what he played here. They weren't really asking him to throw the ball into risky situations, a lot of short passes, uh, a couple of shots here and there, but most of them were designed. One of the biggest plays of the game was obviously that double fake towards the end where he has a quick relief to uh, Luke Musgrave over the middle of the field, throws it in for an easy touchdown. Uh, But it's plays like that where they kind of create 
big play opportunities for Love, and he just needs to hit an open pass, and he's able to do that. And we saw him a lot more active in the intermediate range of the field. One pass in particular, I remember, it was like mid-third quarter. He had uh, Dontavian Wicks on a corner route, and he kind of just layered it in between three defenders uh, right in that uh, whole shot, whole kind of area where there was no zone. Uh, just his accuracy and touch has looked really good, and he's able to hit guys underneath consistently and just break down defenses in that way rather than consistently hitting deep shots and relying on Jordan Love to make those because that's not really his game, and we're seeing that more and more now. Uh, but, yeah, very accurate, showed and in a level of anticipation that I didn't expect out of him. And one big issue still is the sacks. He's still holding the ball a little bit too long, and it did cause one fumble that I believe ended up being picked up. So it wasn't uh, as big of a deal as it could have been, but still a pretty bad fumble on his part. Uh, a little bit work. He needs a little bit of work on the pocket awareness still, but uh, he is improving in terms of how he's able to move this offense. Yeah, his, his accuracy down the field has been a concern all year. And um, moving away from that would be something to think about. I, I still do think that his accuracy underneath in a large sample is is probably not good enough to support like a quick passing offense. Um, so maybe do that, mix in some deep shots. He seems to throw like these inbreakers really well because it relies more on velocity than ball control deep down the field. So um, maybe that's where you generate explosives more and more but really like the health of the Packers receiving core has been a big issue this year um, and their youth has absolutely not helped as well so um, just continuing to stack performances like this where they look to be a little bit more on the same page um, that'll be more of an avenue for improvement for the offense all right let's get into the bad stuff and um, I'll start it off with Bryce Young coming off a Thursday night performance where he was again bad but um, I'm looking at this game against the Colts for him, and um, every week I put myself through this, and it does not get any better. But for the sake of the content, for the sake of watching all the rookie quarterbacks every game that they play, um, watching that closely, um, put myself through this again. Um, so I'm just going to get these out of the way so I can discuss the rest of the game. Um, the three interceptions, all on Bryce Young. Um, first one, awful, doesn't check for a defender in the lane of his check down, um, just turns that into a pick six. That one deserved to be a pick six. Um, second interception, not as crazy in terms of deserving a pick six, but certainly um, on him, kind of throws it off his back foot, doesn't get square to his target, um, just ends up sailing the pass to Miles Sanders on a check down. Um, definitely could have put some more touch on it, but I think he was just kind of trying his hardest to avoid the pressure as quickly as possible and uh, ends up sailing on him for um, and interception, uh, final interception. I understood his process there, but it was just kind of a poorly thrown pass um, in a tight window to Hayden Hurst. Um, all right, so to get into the rest of the game uh, where he actually did things, um, there's a number of sacks in this game, which I thought were entirely on the offensive line. Um, three of the sacks, all of them in the first half, I had on the offensive line, and then the final sack of the game, fourth one was on Bryce. Um, in terms of positive plays on the day, um, a string of short completions in the first quarter. Um, in the second quarter, again, just short completions. There's one intermediate completion in there that was a pretty solid pass. Um, in the third quarter, there was a nicely thrown pass 
in a tight window to Tommy Tremble on a fourth and one. Um, that was a good play. Um, and then a string of short completions there. The, in the fourth quarter, there is a 49-year completion where they get uh, Hayden Hurst to get wide open, coverage bust, 49-yard um, pass, uh, well-thrown ball from Bryce. Um, there's a 14-yard run um, on a scramble on a fourth and six where Bryce picks it up himself. So that was a great play there. Um, and the rest of it is short completions and uh, intermediate completions as the sources of positive play. Uh, the final play of the game on a fourth and 18, he does pick up 11 yards on a scramble. So a summary of that day is basically um, the Panthers cannot get open down the field in the intermediate area. Uh, when they do get open, it's often too late because Bryce Young is throwing with anticipation in order to avoid getting pressured by his leaky offensive line. Um, and they just can't get to the pass in time because Thielen is losing explosion um, as he ages. Jonathan Mingo doesn't know the routes. Um, I, I think that that's kind of mean. Um, he, he kind of ends up like in the wrong place a lot of the time. And it happens too much where um, he's in the wrong place. Um, and Thielen does not have that problem to where I, I, I think it's it, it, I think it's Jonathan Mingo and not Bryce Young. Um, and essentially, they, they can't really generate yards after the catch uh, particularly well. So that combined with they can't really pass block consistently, um, it just leads to some horrid results. And the quarterback is, is certainly not helping, especially in this Week 9 game. Um, to look into the Thursday night game as well, just lump this in there. Um, they pass protected better in terms of an offensive line unit, but they just kind of got out-schemed. Um, Bryce Young ended up under pressure quite a lot. Some of that was on him. One of the sacks, he kind of just sprinted right into a defensive lineman. Um, and a couple of the pressures were on him. But, like, the, the, the Bears – or the Panthers coaching staff is just just not putting forth an adequate offense. And I, and I do understand, like, their personnel that they're working with is awful. Like, they're one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Um, I would put them in, in, like, the bottom 10, certainly, probably the bottom five. And the receiving core – probably putting that in the bottom three. So com in terms of composite, um, really we're only looking at like the Steelers and the Patriots as supporting casts that are worse um, for the quarterback. And um, the coaching staff is certainly not helping. And this is just creating an awful, awful situation. Um, anything resembling positive play, like I've said this, I've said this before, but anything resembling positive play down the stretch for Bryce Young um, is, is a minor miracle. Um, seeing a quarterback succeed, a rookie quarterback succeed um, in a situation like this, I've only seen Joe Burrow be a guy who succeeded in an awful situation like this. Um, and Bryce Young is clearly not Joe Burrow. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes through the year. Yeah. Props to you for sitting through these games. Cause Panthers offense is rough to watch. And I think for sure, if bright, if it wasn't Bryce Young, someone as talented as this number one overall pick, we'd probably even move on from the Panthers offense at this point because of how bad they are. Uh, but because it's Bryce Young, it's worth paying attention to still. And I agree with you that this is by far one of the worst situations in the NFL. The line might be the worst in the NFL right now. Uh, if it wasn't for Adam Thielen's kind of somewhat surprising season, this Panthers receiving core could arguably be the worst, but Thielen saving it a little bit. And even he's still not looking the best anymore. Uh, but the situation aside, I think obviously that's compounding things and making things look even worse for Bryce Young. But there's obviously just some mistakes that he simply can't make in any game, no matter the situation. Like when you're throwing picks on 
checkdowns, when you're throwing picks, just overthrowing screens. It's just it's ridiculous at that point. You can't be compounding the already kind of bad offense with terrible mistakes like that. And another thing that was my concern with Bryce Young even coming into the season, and it still seems to be a big issue, is his pocket kind of presence and not a, a ability, not ability to get out of tough situations in the pocket. I feel like he's taking sacks much too easily. It's obviously very easy to bring him down and pressure. I feel like he, I expected him to be able to just make quick, uh, accurate passes in those situations. And yes, he doesn't have uh, receivers open very quickly. They're not able to win on routes early on the play, but it's still just tough to see him do nothing in those situations or throw him, throw it away. I would like him to do a little bit more, especially in a situation like the Panthers here where they don't care that much about winning. It's just those mistakes kind of hurt his development because it ruins drives. We don't get to see him play more because of it. So I'd like him to lessen the mistakes and it's only so much you could do in this situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you want yeah, that the throwaways is something that um, I do want to talk about really quick. So he's like first in the league in throwaways by a country mile. Um, and most of these are coming on, on pressured situations. And I would say that's a good habit. Um, but really, again, it's just kind of a symptom of not being able to generate any positive plays. Like the, the, the receiving core is like horrifically bad. It's like one of the worst receiving cores I've seen in, a, in the league in a minute. They like Adam Thielen being having a surprisingly good season is not necessarily That's like, crazy. it's not necessarily like a good thing. Like Adam Thielen at this point is a nice complimentary piece who can work underneath pretty much exclusively. Um, he used to be extremely good working um, in intermediate areas, working after the catch, but some of that stuff with his power and explosion has gone away. Um, and the intermediate stuff is, is declining as well because when Bryce Young throws with anticipation on, on stuff like these digs and curls, Adam Thielen is not like to the ball yet. Like he's he's too slow to get to the ball, which is like a really frustrating thing. And you could say like Bryce Young should adapt to his personnel. And, and while that could be something you think about, but um, if Bryce Young continues to hold the ball, he's, he's either getting sacked or dealing with heavy pressure in his face. So it's just, it's just an awful situation where um, Bryce Young's positive traits cannot like be actualized it's like this this horrible thing where all of his worst traits continue to come out and his good traits don't have an opportunity to come out so um yeah as we continue to watch for this um i'll 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 see if their situation improves in the coming weeks but i don't really expect anything anytime soon yeah and moving on from a young quarterback with a lot of talent who's struggling in a bad situation to a very, very established quarterback who's struggling in a worse situation than he has the normal trying to figure it out. And just as a disclaimer, my bad quarterbacks this week is going to be a pretty stacked list. We had some pretty disappointing uh, performances, in my opinion. And it starts with the guy who many consider is the best quarterback in the league, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Despite what looks like a pretty clean stat line, he was 20 for 30, 185 yards, two touchdowns, only two sacks. It doesn't seem like a bad game uh, whatsoever. Watching the film, it wasn't the best game whatsoever from Mahomes and just in general, a very weak performance from him and kind of shows how weird this Chiefs offense has been playing, which I'll get into. And 
oddly enough, it starts out really good early early morning game in Germany. It starts off with a good drive. He hits uh, MVS up the seam pretty accurately for a big play, 20-ish yards. Later in that same drive, he has a great pass on a corner route to Noah Gray, I believe. And uh, he has another great pass on a touchdown that ends up being reversed because uh, I believe Justin Watson doesn't get his feet in. But uh, eventually they score on a screen pass. Great drive to start, and I thought that's that was kind of going to stay this way. This is kind of how we expect the Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes to operate. But it starts off with the next couple of drives where things kind of stagnate. And the only way I can describe this version of the Chiefs offense is like super choppy. With the Andy Reid-led offense, you expect a lot more smooth play, guys running open, guys going all over for across from the field one side to another, going in motion, and just getting open. And Patrick Mahomes either hits someone open or if nothing's there, he runs around and figures something out. And you don't really see that. You have a lot more guys stopping, a lot more quick routes, a lot more checkdowns for Mahomes. And pretty much throughout the rest of the game, that's what we saw. We do get another touchdown drive later in that half where, again, it was a lot of just short passes where he has guys open, but it's not Mahomes doing anything over the top. And he has a lot of guys very much covered, and he's not able to throw them open. Uh, Andy Reid's not able to scheme any anyone open. It's very weird, and it's also – a lot to do with Travis Kelsey declining a little bit in games like this, where I feel like the dolphins have a relatively weak linebacker core. Me personally, I don't think they have anyone on the field that should be able to contain Travis Kelsey the way they did. And uh, I'm not really sure how they weren't able to scheme him open either. Typically when you had of teams like the Dolphins who were kind of shadowing Kelsey the whole game. The Chiefs were still able to figure some way or another, whether it's Patrick Mahomes running out there and playmaking, finding Kelsey, making things happen, or somehow, some way they get him involved. And in games, a lot of games this year, they haven't. And this isn't even to mention the fumble that Patrick Mahomes had, which I thought was pretty bad. Uh, and in general this year, despite not the best offensive line play in terms of uh, pass blocking, He's been really good at avoiding sacks. That's one of the things holding him up uh, this season in terms of his level of play. And this one just showed a lapse in judgment with him, something I don't expect to uh, stay long-term. But he simply wasn't aware in the pocket, holds the ball too long, ends up losing it. Uh, And that's a big momentum-swinging play and huge turnover-worthy play there. Uh, Overall, I just didn't like the lack of aggression from Mahomes. He wasn't really willing to push the ball downfield, settling for quick passes a lot, and that's why you just saw them punting over and over and over again. And I know the personnel's bad. The scheme's looking, like I said, choppy, not what we expect out of Andy Reid. But still, Mahomes should be able to make do better than what he did today, and uh, it wasn't a great performance. All right, moving on from someone who you doubted their aggression to someone who I will never doubt his aggression, and that's Geno Smith. Um, Yeah, this was horrific from the Seahawks offense, and Geno Smith was a big culprit in this one. Um, Baltimore Ravens just absolutely shut down the Seahawks offense to the tune of four sacks for Geno, one interception, and another turnover-worthy play. Um, And he was just kind of unable to generate any consistency. So Geno Smith was pushing the ball down the field, um, he has a beautiful pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba here, another great pass to Tyler Lockett. And 
the the big players will never be absent with Geno Smith. It's just will they be present enough to offset the turnover-worthy plays from him? And in this one, I don't think that they were, um, especially when you include the other negative plays, like four sacks that he took, um, a string of them on him, two of them, in my opinion. Um, and I mentioned the two turnover-worthy plays in this one. Um, I don't want to go through the play-by-play for this one because going 13 for 28, there's going to be a lot of passes that are not um, not much to say other than Geno Smith and the receivers not really being on the same page and missing throws and all that good stuff. So um, I'll just I'll just kind of recap in the context of this season. Um, Geno Smith's turnover-worthy plays have not really uh, changed from last year. He was getting lucky last year, probably should have had something in the neighborhood of uh, 16 interceptions, maybe 17, um, yeah. ended up with 12. Um, and about halfway through this year, he's pacing well for like that, a similar number like that, seven interceptions um, through um, seven and a half games. Um, so that, that looked about right to me. Um, the issue with the Seahawks offense right now, in my opinion, is that Geno Smith is not generating the explosive plays at the same rate that he did last year. And it was something that we talked about in his preview episode for the year. Um, he had kind of an all-time great deep ball season last year. Um, and it's tough to sustain that year over year. Geno Smith has a really good arm, like really gifted arm, um, has the ability to throw with touch and power, layer throws deep down the field, is extremely aggressive pushing down the field. But just that kind of insane level of accuracy down the field, sustaining itself and being able to um, make up for multiple turnover-worthy plays in a game, as he's very, very much capable and consistently does, um, that's just going to be tough. And the Seahawks offense is kind of living on the edge right now in terms of production. And I think the receivers can still produce, but for the Seahawks to continue to win games, um, Gino's ability to avoid negative plays either has to improve or he needs to get back to the level that he was at last year and, and pushing it deep down the field, which I think is a little bit trickier. So um, yeah, Gino Smith has played worse this season and um, the Seahawks are kind of seeing the effects in certain games. Yeah, I 100% agree with pretty much that take on Geno Smith because I feel like dating to like the second half some point of last season, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, we started to see this sort of Geno Smith come to life and I feel like it just only continued into this year. And I agree with you a lot for of kind of the luckiness that came out of uh, his play last year where he was throwing a lot of balls into, uh, into harm's way and really wasn't getting punished with it as much as he should have. And this year we're seeing that happen a lot more. And I think what we saw in that first half of last year was, is some things we see a lot with the, these like mid-tier type of gunslingers where they hit a little streak of heat in terms of accuracy and they're hitting crazy passes downfield in tight windows which we saw Geno Smith do plenty of times last year uh hitting ball uh, hitting passes downfield and it's not really going his way uh, now his accuracy is not looking as good as it was there which a lot of the throws he was making were really really difficult and you have to be very accurate in making those throws and uh this year, those things are not going his way, as well as his intermediate game just simply doesn't uh, look developed enough. He's not able to break down zones and just quickly get off passes over the middle of the field when he needs to. I feel like when he's under pressure, he panics a lot more than a kind of veteran quarterback at his point of his career should be. And the sacks have been a little bit of a killer, even though it is a bad offense. 
or a bad offensive line, I should say. I feel like he's holding the ball a little bit too long to get those big plays, and it's causing that. Uh, I I can't say we didn't expect this out of Geno Smith, but it does suck to see kind of his high there end. And moving on from one gunslinging quarterback to another who I thought performed poorly this week, which is a little bit of a point of contention between me and PD. I'm sure he'll get into here. And that's Josh Allen for me. I thought Josh Allen playing that last game uh, did not look good. And I think kind of like with Mahomes, his stat line wouldn't really suggest that. He was 26 for 38, 258 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, with eight eight carries for 44 yards and a touchdown, uh, uh, rushing as well, and that doesn't necessarily look like the worst stat line. But for me, I thought he was a big reason why the Bills were not able to have consistent offense in this game, and kind of held this offense back in general. And not that doesn't mean he didn't have good plays. I thought his first drive was incredible, much like Mahomes. He came out very hot. Uh, hit multiple passes downfield, including a deep pass to Diggs uh, down the left sideline, which was great, as well as another pass to Shakir uh, for like 20, 22 yards. And he was able to run in for a touchdown there. Great drive to start, very consistent. And I also want to highlight his last drive, which was incredible, almost brought his team back into the game. A great, great throw to Diggs down the right sideline, put it right at the back of the end zone, and with amazing touch too, which isn't necessarily his strong suit, but he drops it in right at that back corner of the end zone where Diggs could get it. So I do agree that there were a couple of huge plays there that uh, brought his from a very bad performance to just below average sort of performance to bad for me. But just throughout the rest of the game in between that first and last drive. I just did not like what I was seeing. Most importantly, that interception intended for game Davis didn't really see what he was thinking there. I don't, I just think he might've not seen the defender throws it into pretty blatant double coverage where don't really think I know what he was doing. And the rest of the game, I feel like that interception almost shook him in a way because he was nowhere near the aggressive Josh Allen that we expect. And I almost feel like the Bengals were daring him to do it. This run game was absolutely non-existent from the Bills, and they were creeping up, and they were kind of forcing Josh Allen to beat them downfield. And normally you wouldn't dare do that to Josh Allen. He's one of the best deep play throwers in the league. And they were daring him to do so and he didn't want to go downfield he was checking it down consistently to Kincaid he was not really going to digs nearly as much as he should have uh he wasn't getting any of his receivers involved aside from really Kincaid and that was because Kincaid was kind of a security blanket it was a lot of in-breaking routes a lot of drags a lot of check downs he wasn't attacking downfield and when he was there were a lot of errant passes out of bounds he wasn't connecting and a lot of the times he was also down the stretch of the game, just tucking and running when his first read wasn't there. Uh, it, it seemed like he had almost gone back to a Josh Allen of previous years rather than the developed Josh Allen we've seen over the last couple of years who can attack the ball downfield even if he's not at his most accurate Uh I thought all of the bad that we saw in between that first and last drive definitely makes this a bad performance for me. I don't think a couple of plays throughout the game should kind of overpower the entirety of the game where he wasn't himself clearly. 
Yeah, I thought um on the interception I understood what he was doing. It was like a a whole shot that he was trying to throw, but he just kind of underthrows it by like five, ten yards, something in there. Um uh the touchdown pass to Gabe Davis was, or not Gabe Davis to Stefan Diggs was great. There was another pass down the the sideline to Stefan Diggs in what is essentially like a like a whole shot, but like thirteen yards down the field. Um another pass on a deep end that was well thrown. Um yeah, I thought the collective of that made up for it and made it a solid game. But um, certainly the the rhythm of the Bills' offense, I, I think this is more of like a, a Bills' offense problem that I have in general. Where um, this year they they've come out and like openly said we want to use like our tight ends more um, and James Cook more, and and all of those passes are like screen passes to to Dalton Kincaid, where it's like that's kind of the design of the play. Um, and I would just say like. Going forward, I would love to see the Bills offense just kind of let jo- Josh Allen cook, for a lack of better words. Um, Allen is probably at his best when he's just doing his own thing and pushing the ball down the field. He looks his most comfortable in in the chaos. And um, while we've both highlighted that as a thing that can kind of limit high-end offense, uh, trying to force him, for a lack of better words, to be Joe Burrow is not really the way to go. Um, but moving on to my final quarterback, in the bad and a little bit of a surprise for some people who watched the game live, but that's going to be Will Levis from last week's Thursday night football. Um, and this was tracking to be a solid game from Will Levis. Um, but then the fourth quarter happened and I'll get into it in a little bit, but Levis was throwing some pretty impressive passes, has a really nice pass on an in-breaking route to, to DeAndre Hopkins in a tight window early in the game, um, has one down the, down the sideline on a fourth down, um, it's kind of a very difficult catch for Traylon Burks, but he puts it in a perfect spot. Um, has a few passes other than that um, as well that were very impressive. But the reason that he ends up on this bad list um, was because on the final drive, he put he ends up putting the ball in harm's way three times, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it because the first two turnover-worthy plays that he had um, both ended up as dropped interceptions, um, and he then proceeded to do it again. Um, with the final pass. So the first pass um, was very early in the drive. Um, game-winning drive to attempt, like I said. Um, and Lovis just throws it right at the defender. Um, just a totally, like a, a very, very poorly thrown pass. Uh, the second one, he kind of just chucks it up there. Don't really know what he's looking at. Um, that one ends up being another interceptable pass. Um, and then on his final one of that drive, which was... Um, not the worst one because they're running out of time at that point, but he does throw it straight into the hands of the linebacker. So, um, tough play, tough plays there on the final drive. Um, I do think that Lovis's arm talent showed out throughout the game. Um, they were, they were doing a, a healthy job on the broadcast. I'll put it that way of highlighting that Will Lovis is a rookie and, um, had extreme arm talent, but, um, his play towards the end of that game, just putting the ball in harm's way three times in a short span there, um, really ended up killing his overall grade for me in that game, and um, that's why he ended up in the bad. And he missed a number of throws in the game, which I thought he could have hit as well. Um, but yeah, the explosive t- the explosive um, ability is clearly there. He definitely has talent in terms of physical ability, can drive the ball down the field, has some serious strength, but um, yeah, just the consistency of the accuracy and... Um, the ability to keep the ball out of harm's way will continue to be things that he has to work on going forward. Yeah, I completely agree with you on, I guess, going against the grain here with Will Levis, uh, where I also didn't necessarily have him having the best game. And I think 
a lot of what he struggled with this game is what kind of what I was talking about just a second ago with uh, Allen, but obviously to a much, much bigger scale with Will Levis. Uh, I, I do think he has the tools to become a very a, a, a good starting quarterback in this league. Obviously, the explosive playability, but I do think those skills that you were mentioning, whether it's his accuracy, his uh, ability to fit the ball in tighter windows with anticipation, not taking sacks, not putting the ball in harm's way, stuff like that, I'm not sure if it's there just yet, and I'm not really sure if it'll ever be there, and I feel like that showed a lot in this game. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of a lot of the misses he had uh, in the sense that some quarterbacks, you see them miss, and it's something that seems fixable. With Will Levis's, it is a lot more errant, I feel like, and when he is hitting those passes downfield like we saw in the previous game, uh, it can torture you. It can destroy defenses, and in the future, maybe we'll see that, but right now... uh, not really what I'm expecting out of Will Levis. And moving on to my final bad quarterback of the week, and this one's going to hurt to talk about as a huge uh, Justin Herbert guy. Uh, but one Monday Night Football, he definitely dispo- disappointed in that one, and it kind of seems like a repetitive theme in a lot of the games he's had this season. And when you look at the score, you may not think it was a bad game necessarily for him, uh, but it – Shows even in the box score, he was 16 for 30, which is not accurate whatsoever. 136 yards, no touchdowns, five sacks, very uncharacteristic of Herbert. And just overall got locked up against, obviously, a very good Jets defense who's locked up guys like Allen and Mahomes this year. Uh, But Herbert was looking pretty bad in this one and may have even gotten outperformed by Zach Wilson. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But... Throughout the game, I think the biggest thing that threw him off, and like I said, is very uncharacteristic of him, is the sacks. The Jets were very adamant on bringing pressure on him. They were doing it early, and they were doing it consistently. And Herbert, who normally is great at toughing it out, being strong in the pocket, as well as being able to get rid of the ball quick with his quick release, he was just not reading the defense as quick as he wanted to, as he normally does for whatever reason. And I do think a lot of that does have to do with how good the DBs of the Jets are. I thought uh, guys like Keenan Allen was the, or Keenan Allen was the only one really getting any separation. The rest of his entire running back core, tight ends, receiving core, were getting completely clamped in this one. And he really didn't have anywhere to go. He was forced to hold the ball too long and, a lot of that caused inaccurate passes when he was waiting for something to happen and kind of just forced to throw something at the end of the play. Uh, wasn't really pushing the ball downfield because of nothing really being open. And it kind of goes to show the problem with Herbert's aggression overall. Clearly, yeah, he's not really – it's seemed throughout his whole career he's not going to have the supporting cast who's going to constantly have guys open, a lot of guys who are able to win quickly on routes. And I think offenses like that is where we'll really see Herbert succeed. But in offenses here where it seems to he's going to have to take a lot of risk and fit balls in the tight windows to make the offense work, it's really not something he's great at. And it shows in games like this where he struggles heavily. Yeah, Herbert was definitely in a tough situation in this one, um, going up against maybe what is the best defense in the league um, for slowing down quarterbacks. Um, 
took a ton of sacks here, a string of them on him, but the offensive line, like, really in a tough spot against uh, what is one of the best, if not the best, pass rushes in the league. Um, and I thought Herbert had multiple turnover-worthy plays in this one, which um, was the thing that ended up putting this game in the below-average category for me. Um, he does make up for it with, like, some intermediate completions in this one, um, but there's no deep passing element to really make up for the turnover-worthy plays. His one explosive play of the game ends up being, like, a Keenan Allen one-hander, which, like, he severely misses on the pass. So, uh, yeah, tough game from Herbert in this one, but uh, I'm sure he'll bounce back and he'll, he'll have a better game next week. Absolutely. All right. So that will wrap up our recap section for week nine. Let's look at our previews real quickly for week 10. Um, and my first one will be about Kyler Murray. This is going to be his first game back against the Falcons. And I'm just going to throw it out there as like a totally general question. What's your expectations? Do you have um, anything uh, that you would like to see from Kyler Murray? What would you like to see from his fit in the offense? Just talk about anything that you would like to see from Kyler Murray. Yeah, I know you've been gleaming, waiting for this moment for Kyler's return. And honestly, I've also been looking forward to seeing him back. I think with how long he's been out for injury, people have almost forgotten about his existence. And uh, I think the first and foremost, what I want to see is how his mobility looks with obviously this pretty significant knee injury uh with a guy like him who's obviously really small doesn't want to take sacks uh he relies on that mobility a lot to not only help him in playmaking but also he's been a rushing threat and we saw in a little bit before that injury where he did gain a little bit of weight got a little bit of bigger to be able to last through these seasons but he already lost a little bit of mobility through that whole situation he's not as agile as naturally you are when you're younger but it seemed to be a little bit quicker to happen kyler now he's got this injury in the mix i want to see how he moves i want to see if he's as timid or even more timid in the pocket as we've seen before and i want to see most importantly if the accuracy after all this time out is Still on point. Obviously, he's one of the most elite quarterbacks in the league uh, when he's at his best in terms of accuracy, throwing with anticipation from the pocket. And I do think that should still be there. That's one of those traits that don't really go, especially when it's not an arm injury. But he is someone, while with being a smaller guy, it's harder to see those things. He liked to move a lot or in the pocket, play, make to make plays happen. He seemed He was kind of like a one-man offense at times, and I'm worried if we're not going to see that anymore. Yeah, um, with Kyler Murray, like, the the, the the weight that he's gained over, like, his time um, since he was drafted is definitely noticeable. Um, and I think that his, like, his explosiveness has gone down since he's gained that weight. It was at, like, an optimal point in 2020 and 2021, but I think in 2022, um, it looked like he gained, like, not good weight, which obviously limited his ability to generate explosives in the run game. So we'll see where he's at in terms of fitness. I don't expect him to be running all over the place, but um, the accuracy should still be there. Um, the arm talent is never going to go away. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to kind of see him play. Yeah, for sure. Me too. And moving on from one mobile quarterback to another young mobile quarterback. Uh, and I'm talking about Lamar Jackson. How do you think Lamar Jackson fares against, obviously, very tough Browns defense 
who has a front seven who's going to bring a lot of pressure. And we've seen throughout Lamar's career him struggle with against pressure at times, but also cook defenses that bring a lot of pressure. So how do you think Lamar fares against a strong Browns defense in front seven? Yeah, so I said last time that he should just say his prayers and cross his fingers um, against the Browns defense. Um, that didn't really come to fruition. He ended up having um, fumble in that game that was um, – bad for his overall performance, ended up taking three sacks. Um, but he was able to offset it with a number of really good plays, um, ended up having a 79% completion percentage, um, and that's not even including a throwaway, um, a batted pass, stuff like that. So um, he had a good game last time, but I'm not <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Uh, I'm not going to say he has a good game this time. Um, the Browns' defense is just so loaded. I just think, like, you, like, you can't, like, consistently expect good results against them. Um, Fast rush is incredible. The secondary is playing on fire. Um, yeah, I just like uh, the, the the Ravens pass blocking has been very, very strong these past few weeks, but um, I just think that the, the Browns defense is just too loaded. Um, yeah, and they're playing with with great rhythm. So it was, it's going to take a monumental performance to, to really overcome um, that strength of defense from the Browns. Yeah, um, Lamar has been on a heater, so I guess we'll see. It's like two uh, teams with a lot of good momentum right now clashing. Yeah, two heavyweights, two heavyweight units in this one. All right, speaking of heavyweights, let's look at the Jags and the Niners. I'm really excited for that matchup. Um, and I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence in this one. Uh, how do you think Trevor Lawrence fares against the Niners defense? There's been um, a bit of a fall-off from the Niners defense um, in the past few weeks, but um, – the Jags have had some serious rhythm problems, not really stemming from Trevor Lawrence. I think he's playing fantastic. Um, but the Niners defense has kind of fallen off a little bit. Do you think that this is a get-right spot for Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, honestly, I hope I'm right about my answer in this situation because I'm honestly wondering it myself. As a Niners fan, I'm very worried about how this defense has looked over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but to me, how I think the Jaguars offense fair is, here is not the best. Well, off for one reason, the Niners are coming off a bye after obviously three losses in a row. I do think they're looking to bounce back. But more importantly, schematically, I think with the Chase Young trade, I think they addressed a very big problem that the Niners have been facing all year, which is uh, Bosa's getting a lot of pressure and winning on his side. But we haven't gotten a second pass rusher on the other side to bring in a little bit of pressure, take attention away from Bosa and close the pocket in. The quarterback has been able to shuffle away, away from the side of Bosa and stay in the pocket and make a play. And I think this year, the Jags offensive line, though they've pass blocked a bit better than expected, uh, I still think they haven't been the best unit overall. And I think all the defensive line talent is going to kind of get to Trevor Lawrence, bring a lot of pressure, him obviously being a big guy, easier to sack a little bit uh, for uh, these guys, even though he is great at avoiding sacks normally. I do think he, he'll be kind of closed in in the pocket. And I think the biggest factor is going to be probably the two weaker units of both these, uh, or t uh, position groups of both these units, which is the Jags receivers and the Niners DBs. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, the biggest factor has been the Niners DBs getting absolutely fried, especially these last two games. Uh, and this Jaguars receiving unit obviously has not been the best. And that's part of the reason they've struggled so much so far this season. Uh, I think that's going to be a big, a big key factor. And 
going to determine how Lawrence ultimately plays because I could see a version of this Niners defense where they play like the Cowboys where they do a great job of covering guys like CeeDee Lamb and in this case obviously there isn't as much talent within the Jaguars receiving core so it should be a little bit easier but if the those DBs play the same way they have the last couple of weeks I could see guys like Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley getting open and cooking this team all right. Um, yeah, I kind of see something similar happening. Happening. Um, explosive play element from the Jags is is very present with Trevor's um, arm talent um, and the speed of these Jags receivers. And yeah, I could see this game going a lot of different ways. Just really excited to watch it happen. For sure. And moving on from that matchup to, I guess a a little bit less highly anticipated matchup, but overall but more high, highly anticipated for me and that's the Chargers Lions matchup. How do you think Justin Herbert bounces back against the Lions defense who's been a lot better than people expected has a pretty good pass rush in front seven here? Yeah, I don't think the pass rush is really the question um because the Chargers offense has well, I sh- I, sh- I shouldn't like say that coming off the Jets performance, but like they have ways to combat the um, pass rush with the way that they call offense, they're very prone to calling quick passes and, and stuff to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. The issue is, like, the coverage unit of the Lions. Um, I feel like if the Lions can get good coverage on – like, if they if they send strong double teams towards Keenan Allen, it could be, like, a really long day for Justin Herbert. Just I don't believe in Quentin Johnston, Austin Eckler, the rest of that um, Chargers receiving group to consistently win one-on-ones. Um, Keenan Allen is the, la- the only guy I really believe in consistently to beat one-on-ones on the Chargers. So um, it could end up being a long day if they kind of focus in on Keenan Allen and take him away. But, um, yeah, high-variance matchup in this one. I could also see Keenan Allen just frying the, the line secondary if he gets the opportunity to do so. All right, my most anticipated matchup in terms of quarterbacks, um, I guess other than the Ravens-Browns, but, like, Deshaun Watts just – I don't, I don't really want to pay attention to that. Um, with Bengals and the Texans, and this one is about Joe Burrow. Um, do you think that Joe Burrow kind of emerges as an MVP candidate as a result of this game? How do you think T. Higgins' absence will affect the Bengals' offense in this one, um, considering that he's basically been absent for um, all the games uh, until last week? So how do you think that plays out? Well, for one, I would be incredibly surprised if Burrow is able to do enough to get himself in the in-real-life MVP conversation. Uh, I think the early season struggles have been so well documented that at this point, uh, the narrative has gone too far to bring it back for Joe Burrow. Uh, But in terms of how I would feel about him or maybe we'd look at things, uh, I do think another elite co- uh, performance could bring him back up there. I do think we'd maybe be favoring him a little bit because we knew the injury is what was holding him back from the kind of level of play we expect. Because if we go purely off the number of games he's played at this level, it's really minimal. It's honestly since the bye that he's really started tearing things up. So I think a third really good performance uh, against a admittedly not great Texans team who also just gave up 37 points to the Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield. I don't think another great performance here would necessarily put him in the MVP conversation. Uh, But I think a bigger factor than T Higgins being out, who 
I honestly don't think it's a big factor. Like you said, he missed a lot of time. And when he has played, he hasn't been great. He is coming off a good week where he's looked a little bit more of the T. Higgins of last year, but still the Bengals have played without him. I think the bigger concern is whether Jamar Chase plays. He's obviously one of the biggest X factors in the NFL. <clears throat> and I think this uh, Texans off- defense would try to shadow him with Stingley, but in general, he should be able to have a pretty big day against this defense. And I think if Chase is out and we see a Bengals offense with led by Tyler Boyd, I do think this becomes a little bit more of a close matchup. The Texans will be able to press up a little bit more, limit Joe Mixon, and force Joe Burrow to kind of cook them in the intermediate range of the field with tight window passes, which he can do, but it's not going to be as explosive and high scoring as what we'll expect with Chase or if obviously Higgins was there. So I think maybe if he has a great game with the Tyler Boyd being his wide receiver one situation, maybe he gives himself an argument. Uh, but in general, I don't expect it to happen, but I do expect another really good game from Burrow. Uh, and moving on from Burrow, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, to the another one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And uh, this game also includes your favorite team in, in the league, PD. How do you expect the Broncos defense to attempt to stop Josh Allen and uh, his offense on the road? Not, like... well there will be attempts uh i'm sure um yeah josh allen collectively this season putting together another great year um first in the league in in epa tops in the league in completion percentage over expectation um just another great season from him um but i i just like um the the bills haven't been able to like consistently finish drives it's either been touchdown or bust for them no field goals in between um yeah, just just the consistency of the drives has been a little bit of a of, of a thing with the Bills, and that that's kind of something you expect with Josh Allen not playing in the element that he's used to, just kind of forcing him to like continually dink and dunk and dink and dunk and, and just not um, unleash the Kraken as frequently as he wants to. Um, but yeah, I, the, the Broncos defense doesn't really have the personnel to to keep up with the likes of of Diggs and Kincaid and and all of them. Um, yeah. And Josh Allen, I can imagine him just running over the linebackers and, and stuff already. So um, I'm not really <laughs> looking forward. Not really looking forward to it. Uh, I am looking forward to to Denver getting a better draft pick, though. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes of that. All right, that'll be all from us in this one. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on our platform that you're listening on. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at pd34 underscore and at realruffelpotty2. That'll be all from me. That'll be all from Potty. We will see you guys in the next one. Peace. Yep. Peace out. Yeah, we could be superstars.